Welcome everyone to, I think this is episode three of Demandism. Really excited to chat to you today. We're going to go deep dive everything to do with content because I feel quite strongly actually like at every role that I've had or worked in, content has actually been the key um, to powering demand. And it's definitely the case when you move from a lead generation approach to a demand generation approach that getting the content engine working and powered up um, is definitely the key to success. And there's loads of ways in which you could do this. And so working out how to, yeah, kick it off and um, expand it out is kind of, is, is gonna be key. So we'll talk through our own experience and how we're running it at Cognizant. We've got a guest for you all today, James Sutton. So James is our campaign manager and he actually is the um, brains behind our subject matter expert and all the content that comes out from Ryan Reset. And he is going to talk through a lot of his experience in building that brand for Ryan um, in working on that content engine specifically as well. Probably should have introduced myself at the beginning for anyone who's new to Demandism. I'm Alice DeCourcy, CMO at Cognizm, and I will let the others all intro themselves before we kick off. So Fran, should we go to you quickly? Yeah, um, so I'm Fran. Um, I head up the enterprise marketing here at Cognizm. So yes, nice to be here. Do you want to go, Liam or James? Yeah, um, hi, I'm Liam and I uh, head up the demand gen team here at Cognizm. Yeah, and I'm James. I'm the campaign manager here at Cognizm and I report into Liam. Although sometimes he would uh, tell you otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> I think Liam reports into you, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm here to set the record straight on who's been uh, taking a, um, credit for my work. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. So let's kick off. So in terms of structuring the content engine, um, there's kind of a key split that I see that you need to make um, when you're thinking about content, because content is very wide reaching. I think there's actually probably possibly even a third um, element to this, which we're exploring at the moment in terms of a new structure going into H2 for Cognizant. And um, I might touch on that a bit later, but I'll just speak about how we currently have it set up and how it's working for us right now. So we um, have our content team. And then within the content team, we have our superstar video exec whose works on everything relating to video. Um, she owns the YouTube channel and she works on producing the podcast and then all other forms of video assets that we have. And then we actually have split up our content, um, yeah, our content bubble into writers and SEOers. So the reason we've done this um, is because when you take this demand generation approach to your marketing, um, you really do shift the way you think about things. And back in the day when I first started the team at Cognizant um, and we were much leaner than this and we needed to get maximum bang for buck, we basically would utilize, we would write for SEO and then we would repurpose it into the blog so that we could, and then we would use that for demand gen and we would use it for gated content so that we weren't creating you know, three different things and we were able to maximize the bang for buck that we got from one piece of content. But actually the way that you write for these two different goals are so different. Like SEO is incredibly technical. Um, there's no setting and forgetting with SEO. We've seen this with some of our top converting pages. They need constant monitoring and work. Um, and it definitely needs to be spit out and focused on in that way. Um, and then at the same time with our writers, because of the way that we are creating our content, we aren't just you know creating a content plan three months in advance, putting in blog titles that we think kind of make sense just off gut feel, um, and then scheduling and writing them based on like desk research. Um, and seeing success is actually having just published that content to the blog and maybe posting it on LinkedIn once. Um, it's a lot more involved for our writers. They're actually acting like journalists. They're going out and searching for stories. Um, they get measured on 
the amount of engagement that their topics they write on get. Um, so they're incentivized to find those things that are trending and to go into communities of sales and marketing people to actually talk to influencers, to get influencers to write, well, to contribute to those articles. Um, there's a lot more to it. And again, it's not, they couldn't do that and do SEO as well. So we want to keep that focus. So that's the reasoning for spacing out our writers and our SEOers. Um, we will always, there is sort of a checklist for every piece that is written on the writing side so that it is optimized within reason for SEO, for SEO, but it wouldn't go and get keyword stuffed or anything like the, the content of it wouldn't change. It's just, you know, your usual um, kind of tick box um, optimizations that we'd make sure we do before we publish. But we try to keep those incredibly separate. Um, I think that's like, I guess, again, the, the big thing for me is like the accountability and expertise that you need in the different um, parts of this content content magic circle, I guess. Um, and then the third one that I said where I think there might be that we haven't quite established how it works yet is this need for like a demand generation focused kind of content role. Um, and that person would be the person who's actually taking all of the great stuff you're doing in your media engine and in your content engine and um, getting it into a state where it's ready um, to be run on your paid social and in your demand generation activities. And that's something we're just kind of fleshing out at the moment. Like, where does those responsibilities lie? How can that be um, incorporated into our structure? And um, how can we make that most effective? So that's kind of a TBC, which I'm sure we'll cover at a later date in a different episode when we get to a, a working plan on that. And then we also have our subject matter experts. That's Ryan Reset. Um, and yeah, we'll go and dive into that in much more detail later with James in terms of, okay, great, you've hired someone who's a subject matter expert into your marketing team, you have that resource there, what do you do next? How do you actually activate that um, and make it work for you from a demand generation approach? So that is a quick overview. And then I wanted to touch on content distribution. So I'll talk you through like our learnings on this because we've been through many iterations um, in terms of how to do content distribution. We are completely bought in very early days that it's super important to focus on you shouldn't write, set, forget. We buy into that as well. We really want the content that we write to work harder for us. Um, but I think, and I mean, there's a lot of thought leadership out there. There's a lot of content out there around content distribution, but it's kind of all saying the same thing. Make sure you, um, you know, snippet it up, utilize it in multiple formats, et cetera, et cetera. But there isn't really a playbook out there on it. Um, so we did have a dedicated person focused to all things content distribution, but actually, it's too big a job even for one person and it cannot be owned by just one person. Um, and it really does fit across the whole demand generation, demand generation organization. Um, so in terms of trying to make it really clear and give clear responsibilities to people, this is how we've broadly structured it. So we have our three key newsletters um, and we are aiming to build a, you know, our subscriber base up on those newsletters. We, that's a key part of our strategy on building a media machine. Um, so we have our demandism, we have our sales and we have our content. And then we have a content writer um, dedicated to each one of those. So they become subject matter experts in those. They are the voice of the newsletter. Um, they become responsible and own the KPIs on driving signups, um, driving engagement and read rates within those newsletters, getting the best possible content into them, et cetera. Um, and then we have our company LinkedIn page and we have an owner for that, again, because we want this to be... Um, a really clear strategy set here, a clear owner authority to um, run the strategy there. So we lead with value, we lead for in-feed consumption, 
there's no just like posting like promotional content on there anymore we've changed dramatic like dramatically how we run that and the engagement rates have hugely increased since we've done that as well um and then we have an owner in the demand gen team for our subject matter expert linkedin profile um and that is james and james will talk about like how he's been working on building that out and the huge success we've seen with it as well um we also have the subject matter expert written content so again that sits within that journalistic um part of our content team so we have an owner uh, they have a clear kpi in terms of what content they should be getting from our subject matter expert um because you have to remember that these subject matter experts are great for providing you with content around topics that are of interest to your target audience but they're not necessarily great at creating the ideas for what you should talk about and um i guess frameworks and processes for getting that content and leveraging it across all of your channels and also just yeah coming up with creative ways in which to uncover what your audience wants to listen to um they have it all there to be used it's for you to take it out of them create processes and yeah this is what james will cover in much better more eloquent detail later on um but i think that's what we've learned was really key you need people responsible for getting that out of them and then we have our podcast and again we've now created an owner for that and they have very clear kpis set against it as well um and then we have our live two live shows which is demandism for the marketing side of things and we have cold calling live on um the sales side of things and again we have demand gen marketers responsible for those and they have very clear kpis and owners of them but i see this whole picture being like key ways in which we're distributing our content and also it's a lot of the content creation that feeds our media machine and it's also driving a lot of our subscription channels within that media machine and it's really really important but it's not one single job it definitely needs multiple people involved um and i think the key to success is just creating clear kpis clear processes for communication cross-functional alignment um and we are still working through all of that but i think the beginning part was just really clearly allocating out who owned what um, and what they needed to be driving within that as well. So if we're going to get on to our subject matter expert. So I'm going to bring in James to talk you through this, but we knew we wanted to bring in a sales subject matter expert. We can cover the marketing side of things because we feel like we're quite innovative and we're doing what we want to talk about anyway, but we didn't have that um, continued I guess, access to sales knowledge that we needed to level up our content. So we got Ryan um, on board, but then it was like, what next? So we have Ryan sitting there as a great resource. How do we actually utilize him to benefit us um, and create more demand? So over to you, James. Thanks, Alice. So yeah, as Alice mentioned, we sort of, we had Ryan Reiser just sitting around, you know, and a lot of the marketing team is using Ryan to record videos, which are in use across the team, you know, we use it. Um, people go to him to help write blogs. We have video content for paid um, socials and that sort of thing. But then it's like, okay, how can we create a channel out of Ryan? And I think that's why Alice sort of came to me back in February and said, look, we want you to take over um, Ryan because like, I'm very much just like, I'm a campaigns person. I'm always running campaigns. It's like, how can we turn Ryan into a channel? Um, and so essentially what I'm gonna do here is run through, there's gonna be the theory and then I'm gonna run through the execution side. So to take a step back, when you're thinking about a subject matter expert, um, you really want to think about like why you've got this person and what they're going to be 
doing in the big picture, you know? Um, and so if you think about like ideal demand, like the, the level of demand capture really that we're, we're all hoping for is essentially if someone's made the decision before that choice even emerges. And a good comparison I like for this is that um, two years ago, I bought a pair of headphones, right? My first like expensive pair of headphones. And essentially I said, oh, I'm going to look at all the options. And I'm going to go um, and pick the best one. But eventually I picked one pair of headphones that my favorite like video producer used just because he used them, right? Even though they weren't the best um, level of like noise canceling or anything, I was like sold, right? And those headphones are now broken. But um, I was sold before I even came to that decision because I'd seen them in use. I'd seen them as part of this video producer workflow. And I thought, do you know what? Like those are the ones for me. In the same way, we have now got a subject matter expert who is reaching out to our target audience, like to exactly our ICP, with stuff that's so valuable and useful to them. They're coming to him with questions. They're coming to him with um, what they're looking for. And essentially, Cognizant is now wrapped up in that. So when these people are visualizing their ideal workflow, we're part of it, right? And so that's where this sort of like idea of the influencer comes in, right? So you look at B2C. That's why this is called hashtag influencer. You have these, what I like to think of as individual relationships at scale, right? So there's this psychology theory of um, Dunbar's theory, which is essentially that you have 150 personal relationships in your life that you can have at one time. And more and more with social media, we're creating these personal relationships over these social channels. So what you can do with a subject matter expert is create this relationship, which is both individual, but also at scale with 23,482 followers. So when it comes to this sort of thing, we're trying to create that personal engagement with Ryan compared to a company page, right? Essentially, the reach that you get with the company page is nowhere near the reach that you're going to get with a valued subject matter expert who is that point of contact for many people, right? And that's where we come into this aspect of trust. So when we're working with Ryan, everything has to be about mutual benefit. Everything has to be genuine. Everything has to be sort of for the user as much as it is for us, right? So what are we getting out of this? We're getting our name on every video that he puts out there. We're getting um, everyone seeing how we perform into the workflow. But at the same time, we need to make sure that every single person is watching the video, every single person who's reading his post, who's liking, who's commenting, is getting something back. So we want to be this like core part of this community, essentially, that we're building. Um, and we can see that this is working since I joined because we've just skyrocketed, right? So, um, in fact, just last month, we hit 174% of our monthly target for follower growth. And just since um, February in the last couple of months, we've got 2,000 new followers. You can see our views and our likes have both skyrocketed because it's content that is built to just be valuable. You know, we're not necessarily trying to push anything we're not saying, you know, Ryan writes a sales digest. We're not saying Ryan's on this podcast. We're not saying, you know, Cognizant is great. We're just saying, hey, I think this thing is really useful. You can do it too. There's a script on my page. Um, this is what I think about this. Here's some like actual tactical advice you can use in your day to day. And that is our main method methodology for it, right? It's how tactical can we be on LinkedIn? How useful can we be on LinkedIn? And ultimately, Will someone book a meeting with what they learned from Ryan, right? So we want him to be that point of contact for SDRs to sort of be like, I want to level up my stuff, right? Think about why you go on LinkedIn. For loads of people, it's like they're bored or they're just like, you know, have a spare moment at work. But for a lot of people, it's also 
networking, personal growth, sort of becoming better at your job. And that's where we really want to target that demand and fill that space by being like, look, we've got everything you need. Let us be helpful to you. And in that aspect, it's sort of like for the user, it's one dimensional, as in Ryan is getting, Ryan is giving all this advice and they're getting advice. And so it's almost like, it's kind of a bit underhanded that we're just like subliminally putting cognizant into all this um, discussion so that when they do go away and they talk about, you know, prospecting and SDRing and everything, Ryan and Cognizant both pop up in all these conversations. And eventually when they come to making that decision, they already know of Cognizant. They already like trust Cognizant. They know Ryan uses it day in, day out, and it's great. And you can see, uh, I mean, so part of that is that we're trying to be engaging. And when we create this community, it's like, how can we make it so valuable and so um, almost engaging that people really want to interact with him on a personal level? Right. So again, going back to those personal relationships, how how do we make it so that people see Ryan and go, yeah, I, I'm going to remember him. Like he's one of my 150 people that my brain can handle as a personal relationship. And it's really worked because um, you can see in the past couple of months, we've had loads more comments. We've had people messaging Ryan being like that video you did on this thing was really useful. Um, and essentially, we also were part of a um, competition. Right. So Chili Piper ran this poll basically saying out of 350 sales leaders, um, who's your favorite? And Ryan came second. And it was just like it blew us away because we weren't expecting it, but also because throughout those two months, we were just providing value. Right. And Ryan did a post basically being like, you know, I'm in part of this competition. I'd love it if you voted for me. And so many people not only voted for him, but got other people to vote for him, like posted on his behalf. And it was just like really valuable to see the impact that he's made in such a short time right and all of this is done on linkedin so we come hey, to linkedin why don't you tell why don't you tell everyone what um, ryan was going to do if he won because then they might vote for him next time <laughs> so one of the things that ryan promised was um as part of the competition it was like you'd win two tickets to anywhere in the world so he was going to use his two tickets to fly to the amazon rainforest and cold call from the amazon rainforest in benefit of the Amazon rainforest, um, which is just the most Ryan thing possible. If you haven't seen his profile, I highly recommend going and checking it out because he posts some of the balmiest stuff and it's amazing. Um, but yeah, so uh, they didn't like put map out in the end. Ryan didn't get on this trip to the Amazon rainforest, but I'm sure he's got some other balmy plan um, in his mind at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what's next. If you see a poll and Ryan's in it, you have to vote for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, he keeps telling me he's going to go to the moon next. I'm like, all right, we don't have the budget. <laughs> I think it's a good time to actually just answer this question because I think this is a great question, actually. Um, how do you handle things if when Ryan decides to leave and basically takes the community with him to one of your competitors? Um, yeah, do you start from scratch again? So it's a really good... There was a lot of conversation around this when we were talking about bringing Ryan on board. Um, and because we also have been running it as a trial so we did q1 as a trial and we're still in a we're sort of in an extended trial period with him in q2 um where we've extended the amount of time that he spends on things all things cognizant uh this was my big concern that i was raising um and i think it kind of goes back to a lot of things that end up blocking us in marketing because there's always a reason kind of not to do something that's like an imperfect state um there's one way that we combated it which actually James, I think we'll probably cover a bit more later, which is that we're diversifying. We're not just going to have one SME. We've now got Dave. And when it comes to the marketing side, you can see we've got 
me, Fran, Liam, James, like it's a whole team effort. Um, but I also think the other thing is that you know, Ryan is creating all this awareness. Yes, it, a lot of it's happening in terms of followers for his own profile, but we are getting a lot of that impact onto the Cognizant profile and onto Cognizant generally as well. Um, and it's really hard. You you just, you can't get one without the other. Um, so I think it's just a case of we benefit as much as I think Ryan does and we'll live with the risk as well as the fact that we'll diversify out. So we don't just have everything rolling on Ryan. Um, we've got Dave as well. And I'm sure we'll, when we have capacity, we can look to build out even more thought leaders within the team. Um, so that's kind of, I hope I've answered that enough there, but I would just say it's one of those, um, yeah, there's risk factors where you have to say, actually, if it's that successful, then we're doing a great job anyway. Um, and it's good for both of us. And ultimately we can diversify out and we can mitigate that risk as much as possible. So sorry, James, do you- That's all good. I also add to that, that, um, like obviously the risk factor is great, but coming into it, I think we didn't really understand how big a benefit it was to have not just Ryan's community, right? So when I took over Ryan um, in his profile, it was, I think it was like um, 20,000 followers or something, which is like growing ex exponentially now. But we were like, oh, that's great. We have access to that community that he already has. But what's been even better is just through the connections that Ryan has from being on LinkedIn, but also from being like a sales professional, essentially, we get so much pickup on our post with Ryan because he, he tags in people that he's worked with for years, that he's like had conversations with for years. Um, even this video you can see here, the magic words one, it's based on um, this, basically this stuff by a guy called Phil Jones, who himself has a massive following and it, him interacting with us gives us so much more credibility and access to other networks that we just wouldn't get without Ryan, right? So um, essentially, even if we got a short term gain, that's still something that is worth the risk, in my opinion. Right. And I think the final point as well is all the content that we're creating with Ryan is our um, our property, like Cognizant property. So, you know, all of that content that's gone into insights into our written form content, our video content. Yes, we probably might not, you know, be promoting quite as much of Ryan if he were to leave us. But we still get to utilize all of that expertise within all forms of our content. And that is, you know, our domain that we were benefiting from ultimately still. Anyway, back back to you, James. Yeah, it's all good. Um, so when we're coming to LinkedIn, um, this is the best place to reach and build a community, right? So um, I'm sure loads of people watching have their own LinkedIn profile and maybe some of you are posting. I know that um, Alice, Fran and Liam are all doing their own posting LinkedIn as well, trying to grow their profiles. And essentially it is, it's a competitive space, right? It's very competitive. And so my first advice would be to sort of find your niche, find how um, you could be most useful. And if you have a subject matter expert, find their place within the industry, right? So there are so many people talking about cold calling, talking about being an SDR, that sort of thing. But there are a few spaces in which we've really sort of made our own um, stance. So you, if you're familiar with um, other influencers in this area, it's very much like your Josh Brawns, um, your Morgan Ingrams, who we both work with very closely. But one gap that we identified is just like really, again, tactical, valuable posts they were aimed specifically at SDRs to sort of watch a video and do the exact same thing. And that's the format for all of our videos, right? So we mix them up between whiteboards and we mix them up between like spotlight videos. So essentially just talking to camera. But um, my advice to you is if you find that gap, like use it as much as possible. So for us, video was that gap. It already, like I'd recommend doing video on LinkedIn just because A, 
from our data, we can see that there's a three times engagement rate compared to the average, right? So you just people clicking and watching on the video, people commenting, people even sharing it, which is amazing. You can see on this video from Ryan, 13 shares and 71 comments. Like those are literally like what, 84 people who have taken the time to be like, I really like enjoyed this. This was so worth my time that I'm gonna really engage with it. I don't care so much about the likes, it's the comments that really matter. But also with video, there's this barrier of entry that like you go on LinkedIn and the majority of it is text posts, right? Something that anyone can do and just go on and like, you know, type out their opinion and put their opinion on paper, well, on the screen. But with video, especially if you make it really accessible video, it doesn't have to be professional looking. Even uh, we have this amazing video editor called Emily, right? Who does the most professional looking videos. And I sort of like took her template and kind of dumbed it down a little bit because I didn't want it to be looking super brandy, fashion-y, that sort of thing. I just want it to be like nice and simple and targeted, right? So you can see here, it's just like statement, video with like nothing fancy and then subtitles. So it's super accessible, um, super really easy to engage with, but it's nothing super fancy. And if you do get these videos out on a regular cadence as well, we're doing two a week. We just like, we see the difference massively. Our comments have gone way up from when Ryan was just posting things like um, clips from podcasts and that sort of thing to actually having dedicated video strategy with videos that are built to succeed on LinkedIn. It works so much better. And actually I'll mention one other thing about video, which is that we do a lot of repurposing content at Cognizant. Um, we like, you know, we'll film a podcast, we make a blog out of it. We'll then put it on socials. We'll then put it on like paid campaigns. If you're gonna be doing that for LinkedIn, I wouldn't make that your entire video strategy because quite often you have a clip from a podcast and this one with Dave on the right hand in the bottom right, you can see that is a clip from a podcast and that worked great. But you also going to want to have videos that are specifically just, you know, your subject matter expert talking to the camera and being like, hi, everyone on LinkedIn, this is what you need to go away with in two minutes or less, because otherwise you're just not going to have that impact that you need. Um, moving on from here. So when it comes to video as well, you sort of like, you should be aiming more for things like comments and shares than really likes. So there are the two videos you can see here. Um, Dave's in the bottom right has more likes than uh, Ryan's, much to Ryan's chagrin. But I don't care about Dave's likes because Dave got like half the amount of engagement really compared to Ryan because he got less comments and less shares. Still an amazing amount, like these are our two best videos, but like we can do better because if people are really engaging with it and interacting with it and becoming part of that community, that's where we're making the biggest impact. That's where we're gonna see the demand start to build over time. But also LinkedIn as an algorithm just like really, really likes comments. So the majority of stuff you'll see on your feed won't be stuff that you see from people you follow or people you're connected with. It's stuff that your connections and people that you follow are engaging with as well. We get so many comments from people just being like, I found this really useful or like, what do you think about this? And then all of their network is being shown in it as well, right? So you're making these little individual interactions and then just spreading out your network from there. And that's how these videos just like skyrocket, right? Is that a person comments and then another person comments. And then before you know it, you've got, you know, you've increased your reach by 6,000 people because of their network. Finally, I'm just going to talk about activity. So um, when, so we work with Ryan, um, we have done for months now. Uh, Dave, on the other hand, uh, we've only been posting regularly for about a week now, right? And when I first, um, was like sort of given Dave as like a, we want to make another subject matter expert. Um, it was pitched as like a, let's just start him posting once a week and we'll see how it goes. 
And I immediately shut it down. I was like, there's no point posting once a week, right? If you really want to go all in on a subject matter expert, or if you think you're being one yourself, you really need to have that activity. It's not something you can just like dabble around with. You need to post at least one thing every weekday. And the reason for that is LinkedIn will reward you, right? So LinkedIn knows that you're a regular poster. LinkedIn, the algorithm knows that you're going to be posting this on this day and it knows that people engage with it and it knows that people like it, right? But also, I have never spent more time on LinkedIn than I do at the moment managing these two profiles. And I'm kind of fed up with it because I used to spend maybe 20 minutes a week on LinkedIn and now I'm spending at least like half an hour to an hour every day on LinkedIn, just like seeing what's trending in the community, seeing what's going on at the moment. That post with Dave was one of his first videos. And the reason it went viral, well, not necessarily viral, but it went really well, was because it was based on this topic that people had been talking about the week before. So it was all about how someone had posted from the SDRs of Germany um, uh, community on LinkedIn and said, oh, like, I'm really like keen to talk about this sort of thing. Um, and I got loads of likes. So I just made Dave do this video, um, essentially talking about the exact same thing, tagged them in it. And we got the entire SDRs of Germany reached from that because their leader was like, yeah, this is great. Um, so really, you can see the impact that we make from having this dedicated video strategy and really interacting with LinkedIn and thinking on a granular level how you can map out the algorithm, especially to your benefit. So you can see from these posts, just to we've got a bunch of followers from both. And I would say the big takeaway for me on this and for anyone who's looking at this is it's not just enough to get a subject matter expert. You need to pair that subject matter expert with a demand gen marketer and that mindset of being able to find content that's trending, create a content plan, actually execute that plan and work with them on it because the subject matter expert themselves is not going to be have the right skill set for that. And that has been where success has come from since we put James on it. So amazing job, James. And thank you for our guest speaker. So we're going to dive in. Um, up for any questions, maybe? We do, we do have some questions. Yeah, we could do the, um, yeah. Where do you get subscriptions for your newsletters? Organic signups from your website or advertise it anywhere else? So there's a, mul there's a multitude of places. Um, and we don't do a very, we actually don't spend enough time on this, which is something we're going to be changing, going into H2 and looking at like how we might restructure some things. Um, so stay tuned for that, that'll be later demandisms. Um, but right now it would be things like, it's on the website journey. So on, it's a CTA and relevant pages, whether it be blogs or SEO content, it often is linked to in the comments of relevant posts on LinkedIn. Um, we have it on Drift as well. And anywhere else that I'm missing? Any other key places? I don't think so, like on Nurture, so we say in our... We do have it in email nurtures as well. So um, it's a good, nice, soft CTA there. Uh, anything else? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just such a good thing to use when you're not, especially now, like we've moved to this like demand drive model. Um, it is, as you said, like a really good, like soft CTA. So like when we were reading the drift bot the other day, it was like such a natural thing to put, you know, if we're not answering any of your questions here, like please like head um, and sign up for our newsletter. Um, but I think like where do most of our signups come from? We get quite a lot from social, don't we? For the, the yeah, I think we get quite a lot from the email nurtures actually as well. Um, yeah. Cause they're nurtures that like run on, you know, someone submits an inbound demo request or they have- well, That's on thank you pages as well, isn't it? So, yeah. 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 It's a good thank you page. Yeah, it's, it's a really good follow up to content. Like basically like, oh, you enjoy that piece of content. There's loads more like it every couple of weeks. Yeah, so it's in all the flows. So I think that's where we get a lot of them in those in those situations. 
I'm just going to quickly also answer this. What do you mean by pairing a demand gen and a subject matter expert? That's a really important point. So a subject matter expert is not like, let's take this. We're a bit different because we're marketers, marketers, marketing people. Um, but actually, this example with Ryan is a good one because he's a salesperson. First and foremost, he said if he could get paid to just cold call all day, that'd be his dream job. But he has got no background in marketing. He has no mindset of a marketer. You know, talk to him about you know, an email nurture or something else, or he would have absolutely no idea about it. So what we're dealing with here is someone who can provide quality content that the demand gen marketer can package up and also guide in terms of like what that content should look like and when. Um, because again, even a subject matter expert might know a lot, but you have to take that out of them and you need to do that in a structured way around certain topics um, and you can't just have like this monologue of stuff. Um, so that's why I would say you need to have the demand generation skill set and mindset that is actually the engine executing with the subject matter expert who's providing the knowledge and insights of the content. Hope I have summarized that. Yeah, just to add to that a little, like essentially I'll give him like a brief, which is like uh, six videos at a time, which has like two lines of a brief, right? So I'll say this post is going to be inspired by this thing I saw talk about this, it'd be great if you did this. And I'll give that to Ryan and he'll make a three, four minute video on it, right? So I'm very much like guiding and directing him, but then he does all the content, which I wouldn't know how to talk about. Amazing. Yeah, because if we ask James to talk about cold calling tactics, it might be difficult. <laughs> um, right, we need, to, we need to get going guys. So we'll, we'll push on, but do keep questions coming. Cause I just want to make sure we can try and get through all the content for you. Um, we're going to talk about content and demand gen. So how do you get the two to work together? Because they, it is crucial to everything that we do. Liam. Yeah. So um, I think obviously different, uh, you could have, you could set up your marketing team in uh, loads of different ways. Um, but here we have like a content team and a demand gen team. And I feel like that's quite a, a common structure. Um, uh, I suppose how you set up your marketing, you might have more of like, and basically an activation team or a content team, but I think the same things apply um, regardless of like how you set it up. Um, and the point is, is that when it comes to creating content that your ICP will wants to see, engage with, enjoy, um, you're gonna, you have two different like elements to it. You have your activation team who are out there getting a certain amount of feedback and like learning uh, and the content team who are doing the same and both basically you need both of those teams to talk to get to like the best level of um, content generation and a real like content engine that's like churning out great content and loads of it at the same time. Um, so a quick sort of overview to like what like the demand gen team would be doing so it's like running all the campaigns across uh, all the channels that we've got so that's across paid, social, webinars, events, email, um, getting direct quality to feedback from those campaigns. So obviously stuff that's coming back in through uh, Ryan, the subject matter expert, um, coming back, people just directly replying to emails, but feedback you guys give us maybe after webinars and things like that, getting all of that information about the content that we're putting out. Um, and then also we're reporting on the success of campaigns that, so you can see at all times what content is really resonating, right? Like just through, if you're pushing out a whole load of, um, if you're paid distributing a whole load of your um, content and you've got like a 
0.1% click-through rate, then you know it's definitely not resonating with your ICP. So you get sort of the information from that. And that's some of the stuff that the content team might miss. Um, so that then we need to feed back to them to be like, okay, this is going really well. Um, this is what we want to kind of see more of. Um, but the content team out there, as Alice said, acting as journalists, looking for the story, they're interviewing subject matter experts and creating blogs and video content around that. They're researching current trends and topics all the time, looking into it themselves, going through LinkedIn. And then they're getting feedback also just from the SMEs they're interviewing too. Um, so then that sort of conversation then needs to be had between demand gen because content might be pushing someone you know, new for the podcast and like uh, they've just spoken to a subject matter expert, they're perfect for that. Obviously, hopefully we tie this all together and they're on the podcast and then we write about that afterwards. Um, and also they're out there, uh, um, actors and journalists finding new stories and they might be like, look, I feel like this is a whole great theme for a campaign. So getting us to work together is like paramount. Um, and we've actually tried and do operate slightly different ways on doing it. Um, so we have bi-weekly meetings um, to make sure that demand gen and content are talking. But we've also got, and what we set up for our enterprise marketing was a pod model where we actually had uh, content exec sat in with the, um, with the demand gen team um, so that they could have constant feedback and like in all the same slacks and uh, slack channels and like all the same meetings and everything like that. Um, so actually like you can have so many different ways to like organize it and set it up. But as long as it's like all about that direct communication between the distributors and the content creators. Um, so demand gen in these conversations, when we bring it up are there to think about um, like about further consumption. So we've got like how to like from the content that we've got, maybe we've got a blog, but maybe we need to create video about it. And then, or maybe we've got a video, but we want to create snippets and push those out on social. Uh, maybe we need to put, we could put that into an infographic to make it more um, digestible, um, uh, et cetera. So that's what the demand gen team are thinking to do with all the, with all content and bring to it. And they're like, and how they would adapt it appropriately um, for different channels. And then the content team are also working towards demand gen's targets. So they're coming as well. And they're thinking about how they coming into the meetings with the same goals in mind about how we're going to hit um, marketing attributed revenue, how we're going to hit revenue as a business in general. So they're thinking about where content should sit, um, like if in the blog, so you might have where like it links out to another blog, or we add in a video that we've created from a webinar and like piecing it all together. So it's like everyone's coming in with the same aims and goals in mind, um, but it's like how we can break that content out, make it better um, and create, um, essentially just create more and keep churning it. I'd also um, say we haven't hit on a perfect structure on this yet. So keep tuned, we're working on it. Yeah. There's, I think the thing, there's so many, we've tried actually quite a few different ways of doing this. Um, and there are so many different ways to skin a cat. And I hate that phrase because I love cats, but it's true. And um, I think, yeah, you can keep working at it. I think the, the, the main thing is about communication and trying to get the right skill sets and the right people um, and the right motivations to get it completely aligned. His question here is, why wouldn't you just combine the two teams and have content owner channels for distribution? Um, good question, but I personally don't believe that they do sit into the same team. 
I, as I mentioned earlier in the structure, I do think there may be a third pillar to content, which is this demand gen angle that could sit in demand gen team and work really cross-functionally with content. But when you think about a content team, you've got to have your SEOers who are definitely, that's their, that's the right spot for them. And the journalists who are really content writers by trade and that's what their skill set is. Um, for me, everything is focus and specialization. Um, so that would be my biggest reason why not. But I do think there could be a third piece to the puzzle, which is this more combined approach, which we are um, exploring at the moment. So we'll see where we get to. But I'm conscious of time, so I'm going to keep um, keep us moving on. Perfect. So um, when it comes to content distribution, I just want to run through like some of the stuff we do and some of the things that you really have to think about before you do it, because I think we can all, if you're, if you're doing marketing, you're distributing some, you're distributing content in some way, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily doing it very well or like measuring what you need to be measuring from that, from that distribution. Um, so firstly, we just ask, you know, where are, what are our customers, but in this case, where are your customers? Um, and there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can try and reach them first. Um, and it's trying to like figure out where they're actually sitting, you know, do we do it through the company organic social subject matter experts? So, you know, more paid, more social, but organic social, but through someone's account and our, our own own blog uh, or adding it to medium uh, paid social. So using LinkedIn and Facebook and paying to be right in front of our ICP. Can you find communities on Reddit, Facebook groups, Discord, Slack? And like, are you, can we drop content in there or even as a subject matter expert, just be part of that community and like, and interacting as well. Um, then there's through webinars, events, newsletters, and then in your email nurtures as well. And then the thing that we, you really have to consider then is when you start going into any of these channels to like distribute it is, do you have the right format for your, for that channel? So um, I think a good way of thinking about this, and we've got this here is like, you can post um, loads of, you can post on LinkedIn loads of different ways um, and you wanna be like, getting your the most engagement whatever way you go about it uh an old hat thing is like on the organic like on your own company social is just like post the link out back to your blog so they have to leave the feed um which no one does and then it just looks like you're just constantly promoting blogs right whereas actually what you want to be doing on linkedin is adding to the conversation as sort of james was saying about ryan so you could you know post a blog as a video which we've done there on the side, or you could do podcasts uh, as a text post. So rather than just posting that, oh, new podcast episode, subscribe now, go watch it. It's like, why don't we actually just write about it and break it down and make it a conversation that people can actually engage with? Like that is now distributing your content into LinkedIn. Um, and then also like taking your podcast and putting it as a blog post. And then, uh, so, so now it's searchable. So if someone's searching for that topic, they might stumble across your podcast as well, as well as like reading into the, um, the content. I think there's also, you've got something that is like, what is your goal in distributing there and how will you measure success? So we spent like a lot of time posting into uh, Reddit communities. It's quite difficult to do so because there's so many rules and stuff. And it's quite hard to then really like we're, we're, we're talking about distribution, but it was like, did we actually really know what we were trying to achieve from it? I think you've got to look at like whether time versus value effort there, like we know on LinkedIn that we're like, I'm focusing on that as a distribution channel for us to reach our customers. Um, 
is that we know we can look at hard engagement uh, metrics. We can really see comments and um, and like engage back with ourselves and link in. And, and, and then if we do need to link out and promote, um, we can do so as well, all in that, all in that channel. And then on that is, do you have an engagement strategy? Um, I think if you post into any of these, like into a community or on any social, it's as important to engage with the people that comment back as it is just to um, post out. It's a bi-directional conversation. Uh, so you, you, we should be speaking to, answering the people's comments, speaking to them as much as, as um, we're putting out and giving to them. Um, and it's always important to consider where people are viewing your content. So with the same with the text post, it's in feed. So rather than on site, but maybe another time we're thinking, oh, people are going to arrive on this by search. So we're going to adapt it for on site. When it comes to like paid social, thinking about where people spend their time on Facebook, it's actually most of the or Instagram, it's more in stories than it is feed now. So are we serving that content in creatives that uh, adapt to the story so people can like receive the impression there? Um, gonna have to move you on Liam sorry. yeah sorry I don't know, all of that sort of thing but I'll move on because yeah. I've got a frown up I was cutting her off <laughs> um, and then this one is really simple we just how we've broken it down um, in the DG team is that each DG team member owns a category which actually Fran will go into all of these categories and how we break it out um, and ownership of that category of content uh, means that they're responsible for all of the different formats of content in there and also directing the content team to create content for that category so that we know that we're like hitting these points that we've set out as objectives um, at the beginning of the year. Um, and then each category is assigned to an ad group, which will help us plan our paid efforts and paid distribution of it. Um, and we also plan, therefore, the creative formats that we want to create it in, whether it's like video, carousel, static image, Facebook and Instagram story ad, everything like that. Um, and you can also plan content structure as well um, through that as well. So I quickly rushed at the end. <laughs> cool. Let's go into content bucketing and structure. I'll probably give a bit more, more light to right. what we're just talking about. How long do I have? I'm going to try and be succinct for the first time. Yeah, you've got 15 minutes. I reckon you can do it. 15 minutes. Right be succinct okay so uh structure um yeah so as liam mentioned uh, we have content buckets so they're designed to cater for all different types of like content and at different stages of the funnel or i'm not i shouldn't have said funnel actually different stages of the buying cycle i would say um so we've got um thought leadership which is very like top of funnel um content and then product and retargeting which fall like bottom of funnel um basically we came to this restructure and we decided to do this because we just had loads of content flying everywhere and we didn't really know what was what and we couldn't really account for it and we just didn't have like this true um structured approach um i just want to say like this is not a funnel in the traditional sense where you serve one audience uh, top of funnel and then a different audience bottom of funnel like a retargeted audience because they visited your website and um, it's we serve all of this, all of these buckets, thought leadership through to retargeting to everybody within our whole ICP. Um, the thinking behind it is, as we've been saying and talking a lot on LinkedIn is, we can't predict where people will be in the buying cycle. Um, we Just because someone's visited on our website, we just don't know they're ready to buy. So instead of creating an artificial funnel, we wanna be very valuable and serve everything very transparently um, to the whole of our um, ICP. So these are the content buckets and then we build categories within that. So 
in thought leadership, we'll have certain topics. So yeah, categories slash topics that we'll discuss. Um, recommendation is you pick two to three. So you're not just doing like churning out loads and loads of content and not um, optimizing it. Um, and again, we'll have two or three topics within content. So a good example of content is um, sales is our core ICP. So one of our core categories or topics is uh, cold calling because that's something that's traditionally worked really well um, and so on. So yeah, this is the structure. So we'll move on. Uh, so just to give an overview, because um, I always get a lot of questions on this, like what do you serve to the top of the funnel and what do you serve to the bottom of the funnel? Um, so thought leadership and content are buckets that naturally sit with more top of funnel content. Um, as I mentioned, we serve it to all relevant personas. Um, so for what we um, once we've selected our topics, um, yeah, we serve we serve this content. I guess um, from a thought leadership perspective, what we see thought leadership as is something that's very strategic. Um, it's outside of uh, you know this. It's outside of the solution that your company solves for. So we don't directly relate it to Cognizant. It's this higher level. Uh, more strategic approach so we really want um to serve that to our audience and, and obviously it's there's no there's not that connection there um with content we address key pain points and solutions that we do solve for so again it's not like serving loads of different product ads um or anything like that it's basically creating very value-led content that addresses key pain points and offers a solution um to our audience and there is Although they do seem very similar, the difference between like thought leadership and content is I'd say like thought leadership is a much higher level. It's more strategic. It's topics that are going on in the landscape. So, for example, it could be like the changing nature of outbound, the changing nature of sales. Um, everyone's working from home. So like the changing nature of like your organizational structure since like working at home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then content is more tactical, I would say. So we try and provide like templates, top tips, stuff that traditionally will address um, our audience's pain points, but then we'll also provide them with some value as well. I'm rushing, but we'll share everything afterwards. Um, so bottom of funnel content. Um, so again, the product we've got product and retargeting that sit here. Again, as I mentioned, we serve these ads and this content to all the relevant personas. And really for product, we want to showcase like what we do um, and what product and service that we offer. So we want to be very transparent. Um, stuff that's worked like really well for her for us in the past is um, well, we actually just tried it recently, just showcasing like our product demo and like completely ungated. I think I've mentioned it on previous episodes, and we get a lot of engagement from that. Um, retargeting, again, like retargeting product can be seen as quite similar. We serve it. To um, so all relevant personas, but for retargeting, we try um, because we know that the audience has previously engaged with our brand. Um, we try and present them with um, case studies or social proof or more. Um, I guess for us, like true bottom of funnel content, which could be like a case study, like aligned with our product, for example. Um, so I guess just to be transparent about this, um, 95% of our content optimizes for in-feed consumption and engagement. So by that, I mean that it's running, it's ungated, it's accessible, uh, you don't have to fill out a form. Um, there is still that 5% where we're trying um, to capture um, demo requests. So we're testing that out at the moment and proving that out that if you can still put a small budget behind um, capturing this demand, but um, 
again, like our strategy is very much has shifted to creating um, creating demand um, within our ICP. So that's just for transparency. But yeah, do hit me up if you want to chat further on that. Um, and then, yeah, just our measurement. So I wanted to do it kind of like then and now. So um, when we ran a lead gen approach and now we run this demand generation approach, I guess just to, um, I've got a couple of minutes. So just to explain the difference, because I also get asked this a lot is um, what's lead gen and what's demand gen. So um, I've put the little definitions here, like according to us at, at Cognizant. So so lead gen approach is a quantitative approach. It focuses on MQL collection and spending 90% of budget on capturing demand, but sort of capturing demand because um, only, you know, it's only a um, one, 2% of your ICP that are ready to buy at any given time. So I think a lot of the time you probably burn budget thinking that people are ready to buy when they're not. So for us, um, better use to flip that on its head and use more of the budget to create the demand um, versus capturing it. Um, so that's our um, definition. I know there's lots. Um, so the metrics that we measure um, or we did measure were things like click through rate, cost per lead, uh, net new leads. Um, I think we remember that well. What leads are new, what leads are not. Um, so yeah, uh, lead to meetings booked, conversion rates as well. So we spend our whole lives thinking, dreaming about net new leads, getting them to sales and sales call them. And that was the end. And we didn't really obsess too much about anything else. Um, so now we've shifted over to this demand gen approach. And Again, just a little explanation. So a qualitative approach, and it focuses on how quality inbounds convert down the funnel. Um, and again, flipping the lead gen on its head, we're spending like 90% of budget on creating the demand versus capturing it. So again, I'll just run through the metrics. Um, so our, and our, our demand gen model is, is ungated as well, apart from the, you know, the demo requests Um that we do try and capture the rest is all ungated and value like content um so now we look at things like engagement rate video views um the frequency so engagement rate and i'm talking about ads in platform here like linkedin facebook um how um, our audience are engaging with them um the frequency that they're being served um the icp penetration so like what um traction are we creating like within our target accounts um the sales qualified up to win rate so basically you can see already that we're focusing on bottom of funnel versus top of funnel um we'd rather get like i guess to put it simply we'd rather get 10 inbound leads that are ready to buy and will convert down the funnel in 30 to 60 days as opposed to 100 um content leads so people that have just downloaded our content and we call them up um that will take like anywhere from three, six, 12 months to close. So really um, less is more in this case. Um, and I'd say traditionally, we probably class video views and things as sort of like vanity metrics, but they do really um, indicate um, what's working and what we need to do more of essentially. So yeah, that's that's kind of like the difference between the two and what we're working on now. So I'm gonna stop. You did it. Oh, did it? Yes, you did it with time to spare. Well, just talking really fast. No, it's great. <laughs> um, great. I think, oh, we've got a quick question which we can take before we end. Where does design fit within your content approach? Do you have designers in-house or do you outsource everything? Are your designers segregations to their own team? 
are all teams functionally integrated? So the design team sit within the demand gen function. We call them the enablement team. Um, so they we have got two full-time designers and one sort of part-time and then um, a bit of a teaser. We're working, we're currently working incredibly hard to get a rebrand out into the world um, for the start of June. So all hands to the deck. We also outsource to aid some trusted freelancing work as well um but yeah they sit firmly in the demand gen team and we create some pretty clear concise processes between teams on how to brief get designs back so that we have a very optimized flow there um and we can make sure it's pretty efficient as well because i have worked in teams where the blocker to getting stuff live has been designed and that's never fun so we try and avoid that at all costs any i think we've got any good questions oh good luck with the rebrand um oh thanks yeah well we need it <laughs> it looks great we just got a lot of work to do we're basically we're victims of our own um amount of content that we've produced i think at this stage but it'll be definitely worth it once it goes live and we'll probably just do a whole demandism on that to be honest and we can talk about what we've learned through the whole process what we do differently so hopefully other people can have um less pain more gain um in the future but yeah thank you so much everyone for joining us again and we will be back in a couple of weeks, maybe give us three weeks for the next one. We've got this rebrand on the horizon. So, um, yeah, we'll be back and just hit us up on LinkedIn or anywhere else if there's anything you'd like to know from us. And also we're hiring. So we were looking for demand gen superstars, um, paid superstars. If you know anyone or um, anyone would be interested in working with the Cognizant team, we'd love to have you. So, yeah, get in touch. Thanks.